poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned into The Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you until the end of the hour with another poetic adventure. Starting today with a bohemian Austrian poet and novelist, Rainer Maria Relke, who lived between 1875 and 1926. He was widely recognised as one of the most lyrically intense German language poets. His poems are characterised by richness of imagery and melody and fine shades of meaning, with a tone of self-examination and prophecy. my life in growing orbits which move out over the things of the world. Perhaps I can never achieve the last, but that will be my attempt. I am circling around God, around the ancient tower, and I have been circling for a thousand years, and I still don't know if I am a falcon or a storm or a great song.
Francis with Bridges, and before that, Meryl Streep reading a poem called I Live My Life in Growing Orbits by German poet Rainer Maria Rilke. Rilke's work has been claimed as a deep influence on many poets, including Robert Bly, an American poet widely known as a leader of the men's movement to rediscover the spiritual roots of maleness. Robert Bly, born in 1926, was known for his quiet yet startling poems. His poems most often evoke intensely inward states of solitude, silence and secrecy. Bly finds these qualities not only in people, but also in landscapes, animals, in plants, and even in inanimate objects. The following poem by Bly is called Poem in Three Parts. Uh, the first poem I'll read is called Poem in Three Parts. Part one. Oh, on an early morning, I think I shall live forever. I am wrapped in my joyful flesh as the grass is wrapped in its clouds of green. Two. Rising from a bed where I dreamt of long rides past castles and hot coals, the sun lies happily on my knees. I have suffered and survived the night, bathed in dark water like any blade of grass. Three. The strong leaves of the box elder tree, plunging in the wind, call us to disappear into the wilds of the universe where we shall sit at the foot of a plant and live forever like the dust. Green fields where I walked when I was a young man in these Green fields where I plowed when I was a farmer in these Green fields where I fought when I was a soldier in these Green Coat of arms and a man with flowers Pink and smooth against the snow Top floor of the building Rent is cheap and stoves included A chimney black and bricks of brown Sternly standing in the fall Monday noon but could be Tuesday Fields will never know the difference But anything I care to see Six floors up and all is well As well expected as can be A man with flowers straightens up Little room that he calls home Pots and pans hang on the wall No way to be abused by him Green fields where I walked when I 
too, I dare to guess A banker or insurance man would know the meaning of this outrage of asphalt, sheets of clay, and all the things that go with wisdom. Coat of arms and a man with flowers plays his bagpipes in the dark. The Northern Pikes with Green Fields, and before that, Robert Bly reading his poem, Poem in Three Parts. Imitating his friend and collaborator, William Stafford, Robert Bly wrote a poem every morning, which turned into a collection that became Morning Poems. William Stafford was 46 years old when his first major collection of poetry was published. Travelling Through the Dark, which won the 1963 American National Book Award for Poetry. His poems are accessible with a conversational manner that is close to everyday speech. Stafford said in this 1971 interview, I quote, I keep following this sort of hidden river of my life, you know, whatever the topic or impulse which comes, I follow it along trustingly. And I don't have any sense of its coming to any kind of crescendo or of its pettering out either. It is just going along steadily. This next poem by William Stafford is called It Is. It Is. It is kind of elephants to go away when they die and for there not even to be certain animals that never evolved. It is kind of some people not to be twins. It is bad enough that things happen, but over the edge the undreamed of glare out, ready to show us how happy we are when all we have is the world. For here, if we learn the right moves, or those not to make, we can match where we are, and each one of us dance, even being still. This is a field where the battle did not happen Where the unknown soldier did not die This is a field where grass joins hands Where no monument stands Yeah. 
neglect and an air so tame people celebrated by forgetting its nationally since 2007 across the community radio network. We just heard Eliza Gilkinson with Where No Monument Stands, based on a poem by William Stafford, who we heard prior reading his poem, It Is. William Stafford admired the poetry of Emily Dickinson, considered as one of America's greatest and most original poets of all time. She challenged the existing definitions of poetry and the poet's work, experimented with expression in order to free it from conventional restraints, thus crafting a new type of persona for the first person. At about the age of 30, while the Civil War raged, she produced the most and best of her poems. She began to look intensely at life itself, rather than looking for the normal expectations of life. This next poem by Emily Dickinson is called Heaven Has Different Signs to Me. Heaven has different signs to me. Sometimes I think that noon is but a symbol of the place, and when again, at dawn, a mighty look runs round the world and settles in the hills, an awe, if it should be like that, upon the ignorance steals. The orchard, when the sun is on, the triumph of the birds, when they together victory make, some carnivals of clouds. The rapture of a finished day, returning to the west, all these remind us of the place that men call paradise. Itself be fairer, we suppose, but how ourself shall be adorned for a superior grace, not yet, 
our eyes can see.
was Madonna with Paradise Not For Me. And before that, Patricia Rodriguez reading a poem by Emily Dickinson called Heaven Has Different Signs To Me. A potent influence in her life was William Shakespeare. She refers to his plays, writing to a friend, Why clasp any hand but this? And to another, Why is any other book needed? William Shakespeare's reputation was firmly established by the success of his early history plays, including Richard III and the Henry VI trilogy. Part one of Henry VI deals with the loss of England's French territories and the political machinations leading up to the Wars of the Roses. As the English political system is torn apart by personal squabbles and petty jealousy, Part two depicts the king's inability to quell the bickering of his nobles and the inevitability of armed conflict. And part three deals with the horrors of that conflict. The following piece is from part three, act two, scene five. On a hill, King Henry watches a battle and wonders which side is winning. Then he gets all philosophical, wondering about the life of a king. Oh God, methinks it were a happy life to be no better than a homeless swain. To sit upon a hill as I do now, to carve out dials quaintly, point by point, thereby to see the minutes how they run. How many makes the hour full complete? How many hours bring about the day? How many days will furnish up the year? How many years a mortal man may live? When this is known, then to divide the time. So many hours must I tend my flock, so many hours must I take my rest, so many hours must I contemplate, so many hours must I sport myself, so many days my use have been with young, so many weeks ere the poor fools will lean, so many years ere I shall shear the fleece, so many hours, days, months and years, passed over to the end they were created, would bring white hairs unto a quiet grave. Ah, what a life were this. How sweet, how lovely. Gives not the hawthorn bush a sweeter shade to shepherds looking on their silly sheep than doth a rich embroidered canopy to kings that fear their subjects' treachery. Oh, yes, it doth. A thousandfold. And to conclude, the shepherd's homely curds, his cold, thin drink out of his leather bottle, his wanted sleep under a fresh tree's shade, all which secure and sweetly he enjoys, is far beyond a prince's delicates, his viands sparkling in a golden cup, his body couched in a curious bed, when care, mistrust, and treason waits on him. Like as the waves make towards the pebbled shore, so do our minutes hasten to their end. Each changing place with that which goes before, in sequent toil all forwards do contend. Nativity, once in the main of life, crawls to maturity, wherewith being crowned, crooked eclipses against his glory fight. 
And time that gave doth now his gift confound Time doth transfix the flourish set on youth And delves the parallels in beauty's brow Feeds on the rarities of nature's truth And nothing stands but for his sight to mow Yet two times in hope my verse shall stand Praising thy worth despite its cruel And that was Paul Kelly with Sonnet 60 from a William Shakespeare-inspired album called Seven Sonnets and a Song. And before that, Alec Guinness reading from William Shakespeare's history play, Henry VI, Part Three. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, an English romantic poet, was deeply influenced by Shakespeare, calling him the poet of nature who held up a mirror to life and manners. Coleridge lays stress on Shakespeare's expressive language and the psychological acumen associated with it. I quote, In the plays of Shakespeare, every man sees himself without knowing that he does so. Coleridge blended keen psychological insights with precise pictures of natural senses in his meditative lyrics, notably Dejection, an Ode, published in 1802 a poem that explores the feelings of this melancholy poet who knew the meaning of unrequited love. A grief without a pang, void, dark and drear, a stifled dweller who been gazing on the western sky and its peculiar tint of yellow-green. And still I gaze, and with how blank an eye. And those thin clouds above, in flakes and bars, that give away their motion to the stars, those stars that glide behind them or between, now sparkling, now bedimmed, 
were always seen. Yon crescent moon, as fixed as if it grew in its own cloudless, starless lake of blue. I see them all so excellently fair. I see, not feel, how beautiful they are. My genial spirits fail, and what can these avail to lift the smothering weight from off my breast? It were a vain endeavor, though I should gaze forever on that green light that lingers in the west. I may not hope from outward forms to win the passion and the life whose fountains are within. Oh, lady, we receive but what we give, and in our life alone does nature live. Ours is her wedding garment, ours her shroud. And would we aught behold of higher worth than that inanimate cold world allowed to the poor, loveless, ever anxious crowd? Ah, from the soul itself must issue forth a light, a glory, a fair luminous cloud enveloping the earth. And from the soul itself must there be sent a sweet and potent voice of its own birth, of all sweet sounds, the life and element. O pure of heart, thou needst not ask of me what this strong music in the soul may be, what and wherein it doth exist, this light, this glory, this fair luminous mist, this beautiful and beauty-making power. Joy, virtuous lady, joy that ne'er was given save to the pure and in their purest hour. Life and life's effluence, cloud at once and shower. Joy, lady, is the spirit and the power which wedding nature to us gives in dower a new earth and a new heaven, undreamt of by the sensual and the proud. Joy is the sweet voice, joy the luminous cloud. We in ourselves rejoice. And thence flows all the charms or ear or sight, all melodies, the echoes of that voice, all colors a suffusion from that light. There was a time when, though my path was rough, this joy within me dallied with distress and all misfortunes were but as the stuff whence fancy made me dreams of happiness. For hope grew round me like the twining vine, and fruits and foliage, not my own, seemed mine. But now afflictions bow me down to earth, nor care I that they rob me of my mirth, but, oh, each visitation suspends what nature gave me at my birth, my shaping spirit of imagination. For not to think of what I needs must feel, but to be still and patient all I can, and haply by abstruse research to steal from my own nature all the natural man, this was my sole resource, my only plan. 
till that which suits apart infects the whole, and now is almost grown the habit of my soul. Hence, viper thoughts that coil around my mind, reality's dark dream. I turn from you and listen to the wind which long hath raved unnoticed. What a scream of agony by torture lengthened out that lute sent forth. Thou wind that raves to, or mountain tarn, or blasted tree, or pine grove, with a woodman never clomb, or lonely house long held the witch's home, methinks were fitter instruments for thee, mad lutanist, who in this month of showers, of dark brown gardens, and of peeping flowers, makes devil's yule with worse than wintry songs, the blossoms, buds, and timorous leaves among. Thou actor, perfect in all tragic sounds, thou mighty poet, e'en to frenzy bold, what tell'st thou now about? Tis of the rushing of an host in rout, with groans of trampled men, with smarting wounds, at once they groan with pain and shudder with the cold. But hush, there is a pause of deepest silence, and all that noise, as of a rushing crowd with groans and tremulous shudderings, all is over. It tells another tale, with sounds less deep and loud, a tale of less affright and tempered with delight, as Otway's self had framed the tender lay. Tis of a little child upon a lonesome wild, not far from home, but she hath lost her way, and now moans low in bitter grief and fear, and now screams loud and hopes to make her mother hear. Tis midnight, but small thoughts have I of sleep, Full seldom may my friend such vigils keep. Visit her, gentle sleep, with wings of healing, and may this storm be but a mountain bird. Stars hang bright above her dwelling, silent as though they watched the sleeping earth. With light heart may she rise, gay fancy, cheerful eyes, Joy lift her spirit, joy attune her voice. To her may all things live, from pole to pole, their life the eddying of her living soul. O oh, simple spirit guided from above, dear lady, friend devoutest of my choice, thus mayst thou ever, evermore rejoice.
in a crimson love so hard to breathe walk with me and maybe nights of light so soon become wild and free i could feel the sun your every wish will be done they tell me show me the meaning of being lonely is this the feeling i need to walk with tell me why i can't be there where you are there's something missing in my heart Life goes on as it never ends Ice of stone observe the trends they never say forever gaze if only guilty road to an endless love There's no control are you with me now your every wish will be done show me the meaning of being lonely is this the feeling i need to walk with tell me why i can't be there where you are there's something missing in my heart Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely. And before that, Ralph Richardson reading a poem by the English romantic poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge called Dejection, an Ode. Samuel Taylor Coleridge was a major influence on Ralph Waldo Emerson and American transcendentalism. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who lived between 1803 and 1882, ranks as a leading figure in the thought and literature of American civilization. The following poem by Emerson is called Give All to Love. Give All to Love. 
Give all to love, obey thy heart, friends, kindred days, estate, good fame, plans, credit, and the muse, nothing refuse. Tis a brave master, let it have scope, follow it utterly, hope beyond hope. High and more high, it dives into noon, with wing unspent, untold intent, but it is a god, knows its own path and the outlets of the sky. It was never for the mean, it requireth courage stout, souls above doubt, valor unbending. It will reward, they shall return more than they were, and ever ascending. Leave all for love, yet hear me yet. One word more thy heart behoved, one pulse more of firm endeavor. Keep thee today, tomorrow forever, free as an Arab of thy beloved. Cling with life to the maid, but when the surprise, first vague shadow of surmise, flits across her bosom young, of a joy apart from thee, free be she, fancy free. Nor thou detain her vesture's hem, nor the palest rose she flung from her summer diadem. Though thou loved her as thyself, as a self of purer clay, Though her parting dims the day, stealing grace from all alive, heartily know, when half-gods go, the gods arrive.
listening to The Bohemian Beat and we just heard Linkin Park with The Messenger. And before that, David Court reading the poem Give All to Love by the American transcendentalist poet Ralph Waldo Emerson. Ralph Waldo Emerson was an important influence on Mary Oliver's poetry. Mary Oliver, born in 1935, is an American poet who won the American National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prize. She is known for her clear and poignant observations of the natural world. And we will end with her poem, Bone, from her 2005 audio CD at Blackwater Pond. Well, I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show today, and I will be back next week. Same beat time, same bohemian frequency. And check out the website, thebohemianbeat.com, for more information and podcasts. Thank you for joining me on The Bohemian Beat. I'm ready. Understand, I am always trying to figure out what the soul is, and where hidden, and what shape. And so last week, when I found on the beach the earbone of a pilot whale that may have died hundreds of years ago, I thought maybe I was close to discovering something. For the earbone is the portion that lasts longest in any of us, man or whale, shaped like a squat spoon with a pink scoop where once in the lively swimmer's head it joined its two sisters in the house of hearing. It was only two inches long, and I thought the soul might be like this, so hard, so necessary, yet almost nothing. Beside me the gray sea was opening and shutting its wave doors, unfolding over and over its time-ridiculing roar. I looked, but I couldn't see anything through its dark-knit glare. Yet don't we all know the golden sand is there at the bottom, though our eyes have never seen it, nor can our hands ever catch it, lest we would sift it down into fractions and facts, certainties. And what the soul is also, I believe I will never quite know. Though I play at the edges of knowing, Truly I know our part is not knowing, but looking and touching and loving, which is the way I walked on softly through the pale pink morning light. Mm-hmm.